Katie. And my name is Ella. And today we're going to be discussing relational aggression and examining the effects on students and how they react to aggressive behaviors. So our first study defined relational aggression as behaviors that are intended by the aggressor to manipulate and damage a peer's social relationships or feelings of acceptance. So for example, things like gossiping or excluding peers from activities. And this type of aggression can be contrasted to overt aggression, which is an attempt to harm physically or mentally through physical threats. We wanted to focus on relational aggression and the ways it affects younger generations. Perhaps the impact of experiencing relational aggression at a young age can influence a person in adulthood. Although the apparent threats to one's well-being appears obvious in overt aggression, the quote-unquote hurtfulness of relational aggression has also been identified by children. So we interpreted two different scientific studies to answer our question, which is, how do young people react to relational aggression? The first study we chose was titled, College Students' Behavioral Reactions Upon Witnessing Relational Peer Aggression, and the study explored why emerging adults adopt different behavioral responses when they witness relational aggression and talks about their behavioral responses. It was conducted with 228 college students, 82.5% of them being female and 83% white. What's important about the study is that they observe behaviors of witnesses based on, one, how much they accept um, certain types of relationally aggressive behaviors due to how exposed they've been, and two, how susceptible they are to peer influence. We're interested in the study because it explores how past experience with relational aggression has impacted the way these students act in situations now. To test acceptability, students ranked 12 different statements for how acceptable they found certain behaviors. To test susceptibility, students were given a 10-item questionnaire and rated how true they felt statements like, some people go along with their friends just to keep their friends happy, were from 1 to 5, not true at all, to always true. To assess how the participants acted when they witnessed relational aggression, the students were given another survey with statements describing reinforcing the aggressor to continue, observing the situation, stopping the aggressor, or pretending to not have observed the situation, and the students ranked them. An example of a statement is, I joined with the peers who were doing those behaviors by doing similar behaviors. The researchers found that the more students witnessed these behaviors, the more they accepted them and the more susceptible they were to peer influence. This was also positively correlated with how much they assisted or reinforced the aggressor. In the discussion, one interesting quote the researchers included was, Findings in the current study provide information about where prevention and intervention strategies for peer witnesses should be targeted to reduce relational aggression and ultimately boost a positive peer climate, basically saying that they would be able to make an impact on students by examining the way they reacted in certain situations. So after looking through this study, Ellen and I had some questions. What other guiding factors could have been considered? And were there factors they missed that could have impacted the results? If students were shown to have been susceptible to peer influence, how else might this affect their lives in addition to reinforcing aggressive behaviors? No study is perfect. For this one, the sample was predominantly white and female, and as the second study states, females are more likely to perceive relational aggression than are males, and we wonder if this could have impacted the results. In the questionnaires, participants were asked how they normally behaved when witnessing relational aggression, and this fails to mention how they actually acted and seems like a vague representation of the situation. After reading the study, we wonder if more studies could be done with a more diverse sample and if researchers could explore what specific behaviors students are more likely to engage in. 
So, the second study that we investigated was titled Children's Response to Avert and Relational Aggression. So this study was fascinating to us because it addresses the impacts of relational aggression on young children, which we think is often uncontrolled in school. The goal of this study was to investigate the frequency with which grade school students report that they received aggressive behavior from peers and their coping strategies. It was predicted that there would be a pattern of students adapting to different experiences of aggression with coping strategies tailored to the situation. Externalizing factors would be used to cope with overt aggression, and internalizing or distancing strategies would be used to cope with relational aggression. Researchers predicted that boys would report greater frequency of overt victimization than would girls, whereas girls would report more frequent relational victimization. Time for the exciting stuff, how the experiment was conducted. So the original sample consisted of 549 students from three elementary schools in a Midwestern school district. 51% of the samples were girls, 49% were boys. All participants were Caucasian. The experiment was conducted through two questionnaires that were given to the children. Children in fourth and third grade were given the survey on paper and sixth and fifth graders received an electronic version. The first survey had 13 items developed specifically for the assessment of children's overt and relational victimization by peers. Relational aggression questions included, how often do other kids tell you that they won't like you unless you do what they say? After each question, the students were asked to mark the frequency in which they experience the examples on a scale of one, not at all, to five, all the time. The second survey had 34 items that assessed the degree to which children utilize different coping strategies. Questions about approach coping strategies include coping methods such as changing something so that things will work out. Questions about avoidance coping strategies include coping methods such as telling oneself it doesn't matter. Externalizing methods were things such as getting mad and throwing or hitting something. These questions were also placed on the frequency scale from 1 to 5. The results of this study are extensive. Some of the results supported the hypotheses, while others did not. I have selected the results that pertain to relational aggression. Boys received more overt aggression than girls, and there were no recorded gender differences with relational aggression. This data defies the stereotype that girls attack each other through gossip while boys deal with their problems with their fists. As age grew, overt aggression did not shrink as relational aggression grew as predicted. As expected, distancing strategies were endorsed more frequently for coping with relational than with overt aggression. Girls reported greater use of problem-solving and internalizing strategies, and boys endorsed greater use of externalizing strategies. On a positive note, aggression overall diminished in the older grades. The discussion notes that girls and boys may have different perceptions of aggression. Studies have found that girls are likely to perceive relational aggression as more hurtful than boys. A new direction for the study could be conducting the experiment with participants over the age of 50. Are the same types of trends in received aggression and coping methods true for older individuals? There could also be further studies surrounding how gender affects perception or definition of aggression. We have some critiques of this study. Sample size is small and not diverse. In order for this data to be accurately extrapolated, we believe a larger population must be sampled. We also believe that all children should be given the survey on paper to decrease variability. The gender binary in this study also may not be appropriate with society's shifting understanding of gender.
What's important is the idea that even though our studies aren't exactly the same, there are patterns emerging in different types of aggression that show that people's responses aren't random. Although these studies don't explore the exact same thing, they both show that this is an emerging topic in science that is worthy of future research. Here's what we believe to be true after reading these studies. This subject is difficult to assess because relational aggression can be subtle and interpreted differently. We noticed that both of these studies use a similar method of surveying, but we're wondering if there is a more reliable way to get insight into aggression in society. Luckily, these studies helped us answer our question. We learned that relational aggression seems subtle, but impacts the way students engage in aggression over time. The first study showed that the more students engaged in aggressive behavior, the more they accepted and engaged in it over time. The second study shows that when young students experience relational aggression, they most often react by internalizing the experience rather than taking action to solve the problem. Both of these findings indicate that relational aggression is so troublesome to the behavior and mental health of students. While physical violence spills across headlines, relational aggression is often overlooked. Relational aggression is an invisible menace in society that causes people mental turmoil every day. Everyone is susceptible to relational aggression, and it's important that students are taught the proper ways to treat each other from starting from a young age. We hope that studies like these will be used in the future to find ways to decrease bullying in school and prepare students to have healthier relationships.